Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to James chapter 2. Feel free to use table contents if you need to, James 2. And as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in Arlington and Moco and PW and Loudoun, as well as others online who are physically unable to be with us together today. It's good to be together around God's Word, and I can't wait for what is about to happen. We're about to tackle one of the most challenging passages about salvation in all of the Bible, and at the same time, we're going to change what I hope is hundreds, if not thousands of people's lives in the next few minutes. So here we go. Let's just dive right in to this next passage in James as we consider the beauty of faith according to the Bible. James 2, 14 through 26. This is the word of God. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that if faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to take James 2.24, which we just read as a part of this passage, and compare it with another verse in the Bible, Romans 3.28. So here's James 2.24. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. But then you turn back in the Bible to Romans 3.28, and here's what it says. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now this word justified is really significant. It means to be declared right with God. These verses are talking about what is the most important thing in every single one of our lives. Our standing, your standing before God himself. So for those who are visiting today, maybe you're exploring Christianity, this is in a sense what the entire Bible is about. The Bible is a story about how all of us are created by God for relationship with God. We're loved by God, but we've all sinned against God. We've all turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves and our own ways. We've rebelled against God, yet God in his love for us 
has not left us in this state. He's come to us in the person of Jesus. And he's lived a life we could not live of no sin. And then, even though he had no sin for which to die, he chose to die to pay the price for our sin. He died the death we deserve to die. And then he didn't stay dead for long. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, so that anyone, anywhere, who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord of their life will be forgiven of all their sin and restored to right relationship with God. Amen. It's the greatest news in all the world, and justified is a word that summarizes what that means. Now, it's interesting in these verses because one of them says a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And the other verse says a person is justified by faith apart from works. So which is it? Are we justified by works plus faith? Or are we justified by faith apart from works? That's a really important question. Not just because we're trying to understand the Bible. It's really important because we want to know we have a right standing with God. And I should add, these verses are not isolated, obscure verses in the Bible. There's a sense in which James 2.24 summarizes the whole book of James. And there's a sense in which Romans 3.28 summarizes the whole book of Romans. So is the Bible contradicting itself at this point? And the answer is, Absolutely not. So James and Paul, who's the author of Romans, are both writing about the exact same gospel, the exact same good news about how we can be made right before God. But they're writing from two very different perspectives as they address two very different problems in the churches they're writing to. Here's how I picture it. I don't picture James and Paul standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with one another with different gospels. Instead, James and Paul are standing back to back with one another, fighting two different enemies of the same gospel that they're both defending. Paul is fighting against the false idea that we can earn a right standing before God by our works. And James is fighting against an easy believism. It says, all you have to do is believe a couple of things about God or Jesus in your head, and that will make you right before God. And what's interesting is I think we actually need to fight both today. Even in this gathering right now, some of you think that your works in some way earn you status before God, a right relationship with God, and you do certain things, like even coming to church under the impression that these things will increase your status before God or help you get to right relationship with God. Others of you think salvation's not by works, so you're not working. You believe in Jesus, you come to church, but your life looks pretty much like everybody else in the world, which means we all need to hear what both Paul and James are saying. Amen. But in order to do that, we have to understand how they're using words like works and faith. Because, well, the meaning of words matters. 
And we know this. In everyday life, I was in an Uber this last week with a driver who was born in Africa, West Africa, lived for a while in London, found out he's a follower of Jesus. We were having just delightful conversation. Somehow we got on the topic of sports, and he told me about how right after he moved here to Metro DC, people invited him to watch the Super Bowl with him, a football game. And when he showed up, he was so confused. Because nobody on TV was kicking the ball with their foot, or a couple guys, every once in a while. They were playing a totally different sport than what he thought of when they said football. And that's because, as you know, the rest of the world calls football what we call soccer. And he just kept laughing. He was like, this makes no sense whatsoever. So the same word can have different meanings to different people, which is why it's important to be clear about what words mean. That's all the more true with God's word. So I want to show you what James and Paul mean when they say works and faith in these verses. Not just so that we can understand it, but once we see what these words mean, it's life-changing. So if you're taking notes or if you're not taking notes, I would encourage you to write these things down. The pictures that Paul and James have in mind when they use certain words. First, in both passages, we see two pictures of faith. This word faith, it's interesting. James uses the noun for faith 16 times in this letter that we're walking through. 11 of those times are in this passage that I just read. And the five times it's used outside of this passage, faith is always used positively. We've seen this over recent weeks. James 1.3 talked about the testing of genuine faith. James 1.6 talked about praying with faith. But in this passage today... James is having this imaginary dialogue with someone who claims to have faith, but doesn't actually have it. So he's not contrasting immature and mature faith. No, the majority of times he uses faith in this passage, he's actually talking about somebody who doesn't have faith at all. They think they have faith, but their faith is dead. So here's one kind of faith, dead faith, which does not save. That's the whole way James starts in verse 14, right? He says, someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? And the answer is no. It doesn't save because it's not actually faith. Verse 17, faith by itself, if it doesn't have have works, is dead, It's not actual faith. James is saying, and this is so important, please listen close. Just because someone says they have faith doesn't mean they actually have it. And it doesn't mean they're right before God. Which leads to the question, well, how do you know if someone or if you have faith that does save, that makes you right before God? And James says, look for fruit, because dead faith does not bear fruit. James is saying the exact same thing that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. People will show their faith by the fruit of their lives. If you look at a tree with apples hanging from its limbs, you say, that's an apple tree. How do you know? It has apples on it. What's on the outside is evidence of what's on the inside. 
And dead faith doesn't have fruit. Specifically, James says, dead faith does not care for the poor. And that's the primary point James is making here. Much like we saw last week in the beginning of James 2, people in the church were ignoring the poor. And James is making clear that if someone claims to have faith in Jesus and ignores the poor, they don't actually have faith in Jesus. Their faith is dead. And what I'm about to say may sound overly strong, but it is the clear and undeniable message from this passage we're looking at. People who claim to be Christians but do not help impoverished brothers and sisters are not actually Christians. Amen. No matter what they say they believe. Look at James 2.19. Every Jewish man or woman believed the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James points out, yeah, even demons believe that. The question is not, do you believe in God? Or even do you believe in Jesus, that he died on a cross and rose from the grave? Demons believe that too. That's dead faith, which means it's not really faith at all. When James says, you foolish person, the word for foolish there means empty. He's saying, you claim to have faith, but there's not actually anything there. Dead faith is no faith. But, James says, there's another picture of faith, what we'll call living faith, which does save. That's the contrast. There in verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You see it? There's two kinds of faith here. One faith that has no works, that's dead faith, doesn't save, doesn't bear fruit, doesn't care for the poor. There's another kind of faith, though, that does save. And this kind of faith does bear fruit and does care for the poor. This faith sees a brother or sister in need and does something to provide for them. Actual living faith cares for the poor. Quite literally, this faith works. Which then leads right into the second word. So works. The Bible gives us two pictures of works. Sometimes the Bible talks about works in positive ways. Other times the Bible talks about works in negative ways. And we need to know the difference. So let's start with the negative. Sometimes the Bible talks about works we do in order to earn favor before God. Which is how Paul often talks about works. As things we do to try to earn a right standing with God. All throughout books like Romans and Galatians in the Bible, Paul is speaking against people's attempts to attain God's favor by what they do. And over and over again, Paul's saying, no, no, no. You cannot earn standing before God through your works. You can't earn salvation through what you do. And to be clear, James is also not saying that we can earn salvation through our works. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. James chapter 1, verse 18. 
God is the one who brings us forth, gives us new life by the word of truth. James 1.25, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's God's word that is able to save your souls. Even last week, James 2.6, the kingdom of God is for those who love God. So follow, this is so important. James is nowhere saying that if we do enough work, specifically if we care enough for the poor, then we will be saved. No, James is pointing to a totally different kind of work. James is not talking about works we do in order to earn favor before God. James is talking about works we do as the fruit of faith in God. It's interesting, before I even show you this in James... I want to point out how Paul, who wrote Romans, talks about works like this too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly remember you, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that language? The work of faith that leads to labors of love. Uses the same language in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So works of faith. One more, Galatians chapter 5, and a book that's all about how we are saved by God's grace, not our works. Paul writes, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's a work, only faith working through love. Faith working. So how does faith work? And I want to show you this in James. The same applies to Paul. This is how faith works according to the Bible. So again, you might write this down. How does faith work? Faith creates works. It's exactly what James is saying in chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Look at it in your Bible. It's up here on the screen. You see that Faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. This is so interesting because Paul and James both refer to Abraham as an example of what they're saying. So let's think about Abraham. And James quotes here from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. What happened in that? passage back in the Old Testament is God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child, a son in your old age, and from him will come descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed what God told him. And when he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. His standing before God was right by faith in God. And then what happened after that? Well, you fast forward to Genesis chapter 22. And this is what James refers to right before this about when Abraham was told by God, go and offer your son Isaac on the altar. And what did Abraham do? He obeyed. He did what God told him to do. He took Isaac laid him on an altar. And God in that moment provided a ram in the thicket. 
who was offered instead of his son. But the whole picture is Abraham's faith in Genesis 15 was at work in Genesis 22. Faith creates works. That's the point. To go back to the illustration of fruit, when you plant an apple seed in the ground, one day you see an apple tree. In the same way, when faith is planted in someone's heart, Genesis 15, 6, it yields fruit, Genesis 22. Faith creates works, creates works, and in turn, follow this, works complete faith. So James says, Abraham's faith, did you hear that language? Was completed by his works. And the word complete there means to bring to perfection or maturity. So it's full circle. Faith creates works, and works complete faith. And works like this are really, really good. Just think about how this works in our lives. Practically, some of the most basic works in the Christian life, like coming to a worship gathering like this today. If you have come today to earn favor before God, to check off a box because it's something you're supposed to do, then your worship today is not a good work. You're missing the point by trying to earn favor with God. No. But if you come today as the fruit of faith in God, you love God, you want to gather together with the people of God to express love for God, to hear his word, to adjust your life accordingly. If this work is the fruit of your faith, then your faith is not only a good work, it will grow in a great way as you worship and hear from God. Faith creating work, work completing faith. Same thing tomorrow morning when you wake up and you spend time alone in prayer, in the Bible. If you pray or read the Bible tomorrow as a matter of religious routine, that's what you're supposed to do, thinking, okay, I should do that, helps my standing with God, check off a box in order to earn favor with God, that's not a good work. But if you believe that God is good and you desire time with him, and you know you need him, you know this word is your daily bread, and you delight to be with him, then as you do, this will be a really good work. And your faith in him and your delight in him and your understanding of him and his word will grow. And faith that creates this works will complete your faith day in and day out. And then, now think about caring for the poor. If we do this or that for the poor because we feel guilty, or we feel like we should, or this will earn favor before God, this will make me a better person before God, then we'll miss the whole point. And even our care for the poor will not be pleasing to God. But if we love who God is, and we love how God loves the poor, and we want to reflect his love for the poor as the overflow of our faith in Jesus, not because we feel guilty, but because we have been transformed by grace, then this is really, really good work. Not just for the poor and not just for the glory of God, but good for our own hearts. So now let's come back to these two verses we saw earlier. James 2.24, Romans 3.28. Romans 3.28, 
We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. James 2, 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In Romans, Paul is saying we are justified by living faith apart from works that we do in order to earn favor before God. James is saying that if we don't have works that are the fruit of living faith, we don't actually have faith. This kind of faith, if it doesn't have works that are the fruit of that faith, is dead. It's not actually real. So here's how I would summarize all of this and apply God's word to our lives. Two takeaways from God's word. One, by faith in Jesus, we have the indescribable privilege of friendship with God himself. Paul and James are both saying that ever since Abraham, people have been justified before God by living faith in God. When people truly believe God, they're brought into friendship with God, not based on what they do, but based on the love and promises of God. Amen. This is the greatest news in all the world. Yes. It is what separates Christianity apart from every other world religion. God has not given us a list of things in order to do, in order to earn our way to him. No, God has made the way to us. God has come to us in love for us. Jesus has died on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven and restored to relationship with God by faith in him. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, believed in God's love for you in Jesus, maybe even you've spent your entire life in church thinking by doing these things, I'm gonna be okay before God. Be free today. It is not based on your works to earn status before God. God loves you so much. He's made a way for you to be righteous by faith in his love for you, in Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life. Trust in him today. Be free from works to try to earn favor before God. And when you place your faith in Jesus, and for all who have, you are a friend of God. Amen. The God who spoke and this world came into being, the God who brought the sun up this morning, God who puts out the stars at night and calls them each by name, this God is your friend for you to know and love and enjoy and walk with and live out of the overflow friendship with God. So yes, get alone in prayer and in his word tomorrow and all throughout this week. Why? Because you're friends with God. Pursue holiness in your life because you're friends with God. Love your neighbor as yourself because you're friends with God. And specifically here in James, second takeaway, because of faith in Jesus, we passionately work on behalf of people in need. Because this is what living faith in Jesus does. Living faith in Jesus doesn't look at people in need and say, I wish you well. Doesn't keep scrolling onto something else. Turn the channel. Move on with life as normal. No. Living faith in Jesus works. 
on behalf of the poor, not in order to earn favor before God, but as the fruit of faith in God. And this is the beauty of faith. So here's the deal. The book of James has made clear to us, we cannot just hear this word and walk away. We are to do what it says. So I knew this text was coming. I reached out to Mike and our location pastors, other leaders in our church, and I said, what is God calling us to do on this day to work on behalf of people in need? One of the first places our conversation went was to ways that we as a church family, by God's grace, at work in your faith, are specifically caring for brothers and sisters in need right around us. Some of you know that we as a church family give hundreds of thousands of dollars collectively to support and help people in our midst who face unexpected financial needs. So as you give, we have a whole process that we walk through to make sure that we're using funds in helpful, wise, needed ways in the lives of brothers and sisters among us. And I just want you to hear a small sampling of how these funds are being used. One single mom with her girls had a plumbing issue. They didn't have the funds to fix it, so you helped them restore running water. One sister in our church family who's a follower of Christ, but her family is Muslim, her father passed away. She and her family didn't have funds for her dad's funeral, so you helped provide for a funeral in a way that appointed this entire Muslim family to Jesus. Amen. One member of our church family became homeless, and now they're living in an apartment. One elderly brother was able to get hearing aids. He's here at church today, able to hear as a result. Another single mom said, we think of you every time we turn on the water and the lights. The other night, my son said, thank you, NBC, for our dinner. Amen. And just one more for now, a grieving dad said, my family and I cannot fully express how thankful we are to our church family. Your kind and generous gesture to fully pay for my son's funeral home expenses brought me to tears. The relief you provided greatly helped with the already agonizing process of making arrangements for my son and gave us the strength to move forward. I thank Jesus for my wonderful church family and my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if you noticed all the... I don't know if you noticed all the family language he just used, and it comes up over and over again when you, when you hear these stories. So many people saying, I don't, I don't have physically fa- physical family that can help me in this. You are my family. Amen. So on one hand, I just want to encourage you in what you're already doing and to encourage you to continue to give generously as a church family for the sake of brothers and sisters in need among us. Then, at the same time, we said, okay, Why not, in response to the word today, why not take some other funds that people have already given, and at each of our locations, let's do something significant through our ministry partners for people in need in our city. And I'm going to let different pastors at different locations share about the specific things we're doing in today, giving away thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to ministry to people in need. And I want to encourage us, as a church family, all together. So there are blessings and challenges that come with being a large church. One of the blessings we have is the opportunity to have a large impact across our city. And we want to steward that opportunity to the full. 
We want people in our city, particularly those in need, to be better off as a result of our church family being in this city. And then we wanted to take one more step. So all together as a church, not just for those in need, in our church family and in our city, but far beyond where we live, and places around the world that are far more impoverished than we are, specifically among our brothers and sisters in Christ there. And there are obviously many ways this could play out. But today, in response to this word from God, the challenge I want to give to every single person within the sound of my voice for you to prayerfully consider is to come alongside a local church in an impoverished part of the world to care for a child who's living in poverty right now. In the name of Jesus. You say, well, how can I do that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Years ago, my family and I started partnering with Compassion International. First, personally, just through sponsoring children, then in broader ways, because I believe so strongly in what they're doing. They are explicitly Christ-centered and gospel-saturated. Everything they do, they do in Jesus' name. And they're local church focused. So they work alongside local bodies of Christ where they've established a reliable, proven process for helping release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And it's personal. It's an opportunity for you to connect with a church and a family and specifically a child in another part of the world, not only to give to them, but to be in a personal encouragement in their life. So today... All throughout this room and in all of our locations, there are tables with packets, and each packet has a child on it. And each packet is totally unique to that child, meaning if someone picks up that packet and sponsors that child, then that child is provided for. If someone doesn't pick up that packet and that child, then that child is not provided for the child I have today that we are sponsoring has been waiting, says more than 222 days for a sponsor. And just so you know what is involved in taking up a packet, it means that you will commit to give $43 a month. And that mere $43 will provide nutritious needed food medical checkups that in many places save lives, health and hygiene training, education, access to special services like surgeries or disaster relief when they're needed, personal mentoring, and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus. In short, taking one of these packets changes somebody's life and family alongside a local church, alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ in an impoverished part of the world. So I want you to watch this video with me just to get a glimpse of the fruit that comes when you decide to take one of these packets. Watch this with me. We're here today and we are gonna ask you to write one last letter to your sponsor from all those years ago, just catching them up on uh, on who you are today. Dear Brian and Amy Clark, it has been 21 years since I graduated from the Compassion Center. 
The day I found out that you had become my sponsor was one of the best days of my life. At first it was unbelievable that somebody wanted to help us. People told us that we will never be somebody in this life. Not one person I knew believed in me and poverty was my forever reality. But your decision to sponsor me changed all that. We knew for sure we will be receiving practical benefits like food, medical care, school supplies, and new uniforms every year. I got my first ever gift, which was my first pair of shoes. But there were some things we didn't expect. Learning about Jesus changed my perspective and helped me make good decisions. Or see my church reach out to my community and see it change. In your first letter, you told me the phrase, we love you. It was the first time I ever heard that. You gave me an opportunity to believe, hope, and dream again. If only you knew how your prayers made a huge difference. From not being expected to complete primary school, I now teach in one of the best schools in inner city London. Jesus saved us and saved my dad. I want you to know it made a difference. Sponsorship changed who I am today. My family's life has changed for the better. If only you knew how much all you did impacted me, you'd be so proud of who I have become. Ten years ago, when you stood beside me as the best man in my wedding, it was one of the highlights of my life. You did it, Jan. We did it. Thank you for pouring into me and sponsoring me. Thank you. Thank you. Sincerely, Maria Momojara. Sincerely, Owen Getanga. Sincerely, Liz Riera. With love, Sandy Mighty. Church family, I want to introduce you to Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan flew in late last night in order to be here with our church family this morning after being with his family as much of the time as he could yesterday. Uh, and Jonathan was once one of the children on one of these packets. And uh, I'd love for you, brother, just to share, yeah, your story. How old were you when somebody picked up your packet and, and what happened after that? Uh, my background is witchcraft. So my family, both of my grandparents were witchcraft priests. They worshiped demons. Some of my uncles and on were named after demons. And in this context, my mom uh, was abused, ended up being homeless. And that led to her meeting my father who was married, had four daughters, wanted her to abort. He didn't want me to be born and we were in the streets. I do remember uh, working in the streets as a dump site, dumpster diver, looking for plastic to recycle an item. My shoes were broken. I couldn't go to school because I needed school uniform to go to school. You, and I couldn't. My blood sugar came up and down many times because I spent days without eating. And my teeth were weak because my mother didn't have calcium while she was pregnant. And I spent seven years attending a university for students to practice in my mouth. I don't hate dentists anymore, but I used to. 
And uh, yeah, force jacket tied to a bed, 20 students watching in my mouth. And that was a, the way my mother could provide that dental care that I needed. This local church find us. Then suddenly I'm receiving food twice a day through the week. Uh, they, my very first uniform, I got it at church. I was able then to go to school, brand new shoes on Christmas, and everything changed in, in an amazing way. But my relationship with my father remained broken. Uh, I met his family. He realized, he got mad at me and told me in a conversation, you didn't have the permission to meet my family. You have, you have to understand you're a mistake in my life. And for me, uh, this letter changed everything. Uh, Jamie was from Michigan, is from Michigan, my sponsor. She sent me this letter. Greeny Jonathan from Michigan. We received our first dusting of snow today on Thanksgiving. Today is a great day to reflect on all the things that I am thankful for. And you are one of those that I am greatly thankful for. It is because of Jesus' birth that we can have hope and assurance of eternal life after death. In Christ's love, Jamie. When this letter came, she didn't know what I was going through. And I got into the program when I was seven. I'm 14 now, struggling with the idea that God is a good father, but my father hates me and everything seems to be against me from my very birth. But two things she mentioned in this letter. No idea what Thanksgiving was. But one thing was clear. Americans are thankful about things on Thanksgiving. And this woman, thousands of kilometers away, was thankful about me. Second, my hope and assurance never came from my earthly father, but from the finished work of Jesus in the cross. And therefore, I was safe. I called my father, understanding that idea that I was far away from Jesus. He forgave me. And I, and I said, Dad, I'm sorry to be a mistake in your life. But you have to admit that I'm the best mistake you have ever made. <laughs> I was crying, but, but it was the church. They told me, God is going to use this Jonathan in the future. And he did. My grandparents died as followers of Jesus because my mom became a Christian. Because he was taking care of church. He went to university, became a professor. She's not in poverty anymore. She's a Christian as well. And I have the joy now to serve compassion in the Dominican Republic. We serve 68,000 children and partner with 280, uh, 248 churches throughout the DR in hard places. I'm a married man. I have one wife. <laughs> Making my wife happy is very hard. No, just kidding. Uh, two boys, Jonathan Edwards and Jonathan David. And the, again, the, the, the only reason I'm here is because Jamie, struggling financially, 26 years old, decided to put out the gospel in these letters so I can now be with you sharing about the great things God has done in my life. Mm. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I'm guessing most of you came here today. Expectation was probably to sing some songs, hear a sermon, kind of move on with your life. That is not why God brought you here today. There are children made in his image whom he loves, that he's calling those with faith in him, his friends, to say, we're going to work passionately on your behalf. So that's why I said 
earlier, we're going to walk through this passage, and then we're going to have an opportunity to change hundreds, if not thousands of lives. And with a church our size, by God's grace, we can do thousands if we want, all together. But it starts with you. So in just a moment, I'm going to turn things over to pastors at other locations. They'll give instructions. I'll do the same here. And there will be a way for those of you who are online to respond. So don't think, well, I'm not there today, so I missed out. Like, you're not missing out. You don't have an out. It's another way to put that. Uh, But you're going to have an opportunity to put this word into practice and get a packet. And I, I, I just want you to pray. I want us to pray before we do that and just ask God the question, God, how, how many packets are you calling me to get? How many children are you calling me in this moment to help release from poverty in Jesus' name as the fruit of faith in you? I just want to be so explicit on that because I, I know, well, first, I know the answer to that question will be different for different ones of us. Some of you, it may be one. Others, it may be more than one, multiple ones. I've already heard pretty awesome stories of that even this morning. And at the same time, I'm not assuming that everyone is at a point financially where you're able to do this. And if, if that's true, then that's fine. The last thing that it would not be from the Spirit of God for you to feel guilty if you're not able to do this. So be encouraged. And, and others of you, maybe you already sponsor a lot of Compassion Kids and so it's not a measure, a litmus test of spirituality if you have a packet in the next moment. What I want us to do is pray and just say, God, what are you leading me to do? And to do whatever he says to do. Whatever that means. Not because we feel guilty or we're trying to earn favor with God, but because we're friends with God. So would you bow your heads with me in this room, all across all our locations, those online, and let's just pray. Together, God, we want faith that works, living faith that cares for people in need, specifically for children in need that we have opportunities today to come alongside and churches who will serve them. So as your friends through Jesus, please speak to us now and tell us by your spirit what you're leading us to do. Oh God, we praise you for the gospel, praise you for your love for us that in our poverty, Lord Jesus, you who were rich became poor, that we might become rich, we might have eternal life in you. We want to live out of the overflow of faith in you, so help us now to do whatever you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.